1: It's the morning of June 2nd, 2009. Eli Weaver wakes up to a banging noise. The racket is coming from Eli's friends, who've come to pick him up for a day on the lake. He's supposed to be ready by about 3.15 a.m. so the group can get an early start to their fishing trip. But Eli's nowhere to be found. His neighbor, David Yoder, knocks a few more times on the front door. Then Steve Chup, another man in the fishing party, walks around the back of the house. He starts to bang on a door closer to Eli's bedroom. But still, nothing. Finally, in the window, a light flicks on. Another ten minutes passes before Eli emerges. He mumbles an excuse and he climbs into the car. The group stops to get supplies and pick a few more men up.
2: Steve Chup, a formerly Amish man turned Mennonite, sits in the driver's seat across from Eli. Over the course of the day, he notices Eli seems, well, off. He's usually never late for a fishing trip, but now he seems disorganized and spends the entire drive on a phone he shouldn't even be using in the first place. He's Amish. He barely looks up. He's furiously texting. But who is the person on the other side of the phone?
1: The group stops for a breakfast at a local restaurant called Vanson's. The red building sits on a major road with a large parking lot. Inside, Eli orders two heaping plates of food. But when his oversized meal comes, he doesn't touch a thing. Instead, he goes back to the bathroom, cell phone in hand.
2: Back in the car, Eli stays glued to his phone. The group arrives at Lake Erie around 6 a.m. They board a chartered boat. At one point, Eli asks the men if they've seen his tackle box. They chuckle. The box is right there in Eli's hand.
1: Meanwhile, back at his house, Barbara Weaver's body has been found. Not long after the fishing group sets out, Steve Chup gets a call on his cell phone from Furman Yoder, Eli's neighbor.
2: His words would shake this quiet, devout community to its core. Hi, and welcome back to Case Closed, the show where the bad guy doesn't get away with it. I'm Charlie Spicer.
1: And I'm Christy Westgard.
2: Last week, we took a look at Barbara and Eli as a couple. We saw their marriage unravel over 10 years as Eli left Barbara and his faith for the non-Amish life. We saw him repent, return, and then repeat his misdeeds. Today, we're looking at Eli when he was up to no good. Who was this man outside of his community?
1: When you live in a place with no cell phones, no television, no social media, and no distraction, you talk. And the Amish are some of the biggest gossips around. So when word got out about Barbara's death, it didn't just spread. It took on a life of its own.
3: Really, within moments of hearing that Barbara had been murdered, people in the community were thinking about her husband.
1: This is Greg Olson we're hearing from. He wrote A Killing in Amish Country about this case with Rebecca Morris.
3: They were thinking about Eli Weaver and his past, his constant going back and forth from the English world to the Amish, the way that he had been mean to his wife, um, the stories that she had told her sister.
2: It didn't help that Eli was nowhere to be found. Still off in his fishing trip, his neighbors were free to talk and to speculate.
1: Barbara's murder was the first-ever Amish murder in this community. Really, it was the first major crime in the area, other than small buggy and car accidents. It literally took three counties pooling their resources to handle the investigation.
2: And these police were asking the Weavers community one question over and over again. What motive would anyone have to harm Barbara Weaver? I asked her
1: who she was afraid of. She stated, Barbara's husband. She said, I'm not saying he did anything, but in the past, their marriage hasn't been the greatest. This is a note taken by Holmes County Deputy Joe Mullet as voiced by an actor. He was interviewing Barbara's neighbor, Linda Yoder.
2: He's been a community policing officer in this area for 12 years, and he'd actually been raised Amish, but he'd left during his rumspringa. Since his first language was Pennsylvania Dutch, he was often used as a translator in Amish cases. But he'd never come across a case like this.
1: I asked him, if I die, would you actually cry? I'm so far from what he wants. So, what did Eli want?
3: When you look at a person like Eli Weaver, and you try to discern, you know, what their defining traits are... In terms of their personality, I think he was a deceiver. He was a liar. He was somebody that really functioned in a different level than most people, which is he did not care who he hurt, be it his children or his wife. He was really a man full of himself and quite selfish.
2: Eli was a man at odds with the life he'd chosen for himself. Sure, he could have left after his rumspringa. He could have lived an English life with all its conveniences. But for some reason, he stayed. Maybe it's what he knew best. Perhaps he liked living a double life. Here's Barbara's
1: sister, Fanny Troyer. He was never home. He didn't seem comfortable at
0: home. He wasn't truthful to Barbara. I feel there's an affair going on.
1: It's just a matter of time. Most of what we know about this toxic marriage comes from Barbara's diary. She was a private person who'd been raised to bear her burden silently. But not everything could remain behind closed doors.
3: Eli seemed to have no regard for anyone and was so bold about his activities that, you know, at one point he had one of the women that he had been seeing come to his shop and you know, under the pretense of helping him with his laptop or something. And of course, they ended up having sex. And while they were having sex, one of the customers came in and saw him. You know, Eli had just no compunction to, he just wanted to be uh, him and do what he wanted. And if that meant, you know, risking being discovered by anybody, um, he was bold enough to do it. And That's what he did. I mean, when you think about it, you know, who would bring a woman into your own house or own shop and have sex with them while your wife is 15 yards away?
2: Clearly, Eli used his store as an escape from Amish country while still being in Amish country. He met with English people for business and pleasure. From this home base, Eli began to cast his net across the county— from the comfort of his cell phone.
1: One of his first affairs was with Shelley. We mentioned in our last episode that Eli left the Amish two times to live amongst the English. Both times, he went to be with Shelley. His first stint lasted a little under two months before he returned. Then, two weeks later, he left a second time. He was gone another two months before leaving Shelley for good. But while Eli had returned, his cheating didn't stop. It just moved online.
2: And then the Amish stud came to be. When we come back from the break, we get to know Eli's most destructive personality trait and his revealing first words to detectives.
1: The profile picture that Eli chose to use for his online dating profiles left little to the imagination. The thumbnail image was cropped close to show only his shirtless torso. He looks lean and athletic with these muscular forearms. And I guess you could call it like a tasteful amount
2: of chest hair. And it was clear from his profile that he was looking for sex. His bio read, who wants to do an Amish guy? We're going to go into each of the women Eli met through his dating profile in our next episode. But for now, just know that Eli had a lot of affairs. While his infidelity was painful for Barbara, it wasn't his worst trait. At his core, Eli was a manipulator.
1: We mentioned that Eli withheld money from Barbara in order to exercise control over her. I want to go more in depth on how he did so. For one, only his name was listed on the bank account, so Barbara basically had the financial independence of a child. She'd talk about this in her letters to her counselor. Another issue is, what is my place when we need money for groceries?
0: He has the business in his name, therefore I cannot write out checks, and we have no personal checking.
2: Another side effect of this was that she couldn't see where his money was going when it wasn't going toward the family or to Eli's business. Barbara was often forced to support her kids on very little, but Maysville Outfitters was doing well. So where was Eli spending that money? That's a question Barbara was not in a position to ask.
3: The Amish women get an allowance, um, much like, you know, something you could imagine from the nineteen forties or fifties. That's the way they get their money. It's very little money. They have to ask their husband for money. Um, they really don't have you know, an interest in managing the finances.
1: Barbara wrote about how different her husband handled money versus her parents in one of her letters. She wondered why she cringed every time she had to ask Eli for money. Because growing up, she'd seen her parents treat their finances kind of like this. What was her mom's was her dad's, and what was her dad's was her mom's.
3: I don't think that The division of responsibilities when it comes to finances has really anything to do with trust. It has to do with the idea that a man is in charge. That's what their religion believes. Men are the leaders, and the women are, you know, beneath the men. They're the level below.
2: Beyond the money issues, Eli was gone a lot of the time. He'd skip dinner most nights or leave for multiple days to fish or to hunt. Barbara started keeping little tabs on when and where he said he was going. Here's what Fanny had to say about it. He'd be out so long that if she
0: asked where he was, he said he was choring. But he didn't have many chores, never
1: took the boys along, didn't suit him, or there wasn't room. Of course, now we know from everything that came out during the police investigation that Eli wasn't really where he said he was. Instead, he was out with the women he was seeing all across
2: the county. Barbara's family saw the subtle and not-so-subtle ways that Eli controlled her. But the most they could do was lend a sympathetic ear. Fanny listened to her sister's complaints about the sexual things Eli would force her to do, things that were against her moral values or the values of the Amish, like oral sex.
1: And a family friend would later come forth to say that Barbara's own mother— Emma Miller had been fearful of what Eli might do to her daughter. She'd been fearful for some time that someday Eli might do something to Barbara. Barbara's mother passed away in 2008 from cancer, so she wouldn't be here to see her worst fears realized.
2: In the hours after Furman Yoder called Steve to notify Eli that Barbara had been found unresponsive, all eyes were on Eli. At first, the men who'd accompanied Eli fishing looked at him with sympathy. They thought
1: that some of Eli's actions after hearing the bad news were strange. Remember in our first episode that Eli ended up passing the phone away halfway through Furman's call so he wouldn't have to hear the rest. It seemed like a really strange thing for a husband to do. But maybe this was just how Eli dealt with bad news. But then another call came this time from Eli's other fishing friend, Mark, with more tragic news.
2: This update? That Barbara wasn't just unresponsive, she was dead. When Eli heard this, he collapsed on the ground and started crying out.
3: He put on the show of shows. He threw himself onto the ground in front of all of his buddies that had been fishing with him and screamed and wailed and kicked his feet It was the display like a two-year-old would make. And one of the things that really shocked some of the people there was that there were no tears in his eyes.
1: In the immediate aftermath, the men decided to form a prayer circle for Barbara. Then they got moving to return back home. While on the drive, Steve received another call, this time from Detective Chewy. And his orders were clear. Your next stop is the Justice Center in Worcester. Do not stop anywhere.
2: But the group needed to fuel up their car, so they pulled into a gas station, and while they did, Eli hopped out to go to the men's room, staring at his phone the whole way. After fueling up, the men continued on their journey to the police precinct. When they arrived, Steve and the other men in the group escorted Eli into the station in a show of support. But Eli wouldn't be leaving anytime soon. Detective Chewy was anxious to hear from the man who neighbors said was a serial philander and whose wife now lay dead in the coroner's office. Eli took the police through his side of the story of what had transpired that morning. He awoke, got changed, and had a short conversation with Barbara. He passed the three sleeping children on the main floor, Harley, Susie, and Lizzie, He left through the basement door. The detectives started probing Eli's marriage. Was it a happy one? Eli gave a diplomatic response. It's fair, and we're working to get it better.
1: Then they pressed Eli on his affairs. He admitted to his fling with Sherry Lindstrom. The two had been caught, so it was already public knowledge. Then, without further pressing, Eli brought up another name, Barb Raber.
2: The detectives asked if there were any others. Eli said no. He agreed to take a polygraph the next day, and the detectives asked Eli, what are the results going to be? He replied without hesitation, truthful.
3: The detective that was handling the case at the time was really kind of, I think, shocked about his behavior. I mean, his wife had just died, murdered, and Eli seemed very casual,
1: It was the kind of cool confidence that would continue to shock our detectives. And the kind of cockiness that had gotten Eli into this mess in the first place. On our next episode, we're looking at the woman Eli Weaver seduced. We'll map out their liaisons with him and what brought them to the Amish stud.
2: But that's next time on Case Closed. Case Closed is a production of Macmillan Podcasts. It's hosted by Charlie Spicer and Christy Westgard and produced by Christy Westgard. Scripting support was provided by Becky Celestina. Production editorial support is provided by Jasmine Festino. Thanks also to our voice actors, Matt DeMaza, Sarah Grill, Robert Allen, Katie Rabitsky, Alyssa Keen, Jasmine Festino, Leon Profiter, Emily Miller, and Morgan Ratner. You can find more information about Macmillan Podcasts at MacmillanPodcasts.com. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N Podcasts.com.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and